turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to be reading verses 11 through 22 in just a little bit. As you're turning, as you're getting there, I'd like you to think back. Maybe you're thinking back to when you were a kid, or maybe you have children, and this is something that you do. But imagine you're on a trip to grandma's house. So my wife's parents live in Reading. It's about 560 miles away. So when we, when we drive to grandma's house, sometimes we get up really early in the morning, it's like three in the morning. And the idea is you know, maybe they'll fall back asleep. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't get there as soon as possible, but you're on your way to grandma's house, 560 miles. You've been driving about an hour. You see a sign 500 miles to grandma's house. So you get out of the, you get out of the car and you get next to the sign. You take a picture of yourself with the sign 500 miles. A little while later, 400 miles to grandma's house, 333 miles to grandma's house. And you keep going. It's kind of like wall drug. Have you ever driven to <laughs> South Dakota? If you're laughing, you know that wall drug is a completely, it's nothing like grandma's house. It's a completely worthless destination, tourist trap. Don't, don't, don't stop at wall drug. But grandma's house is worth going to. So 300 miles to grandma's house, 200, 150 miles to grandma's house. Then you get to Reading. You're, you're there and you get out. Everybody gets in the, in front of this sign. You take a picture. And then you turn around and you drive back home. You don't go to grandma's house. And you do the same thing the next year and the next year and the next year. Now, that would be incredibly stupid, almost as stupid as stopping at Waldrug, South Dakota. But that's sort of what is happening. That's sort of what the, the author of Hebrews is telling us. If we look to the Old Testament Levitical system that he's going to contrast Christ with, That the Old Testament Levitical system, the Day of Atonement, all of these things, they were good things, but they're kind of like those road signs. They're telling you where you need to go, but they're not the destination. They're the signs that tell you where to go. I'm somebody who I I need maps and I need signs because I'm probably more old-fashioned than most of you. I still don't use like a GPS on my phone. I use actual maps. I'm like... Very old-fashioned. I'm against those things. So anyway, I need the signs. I need the maps. I need to know I'm getting to where I'm going. But the signs are not where I'm going, right? They are signifiers that point us to the destination. And the author of Hebrews, he's writing to people, probably Jewish Christians, who grew up with the Levitical system, grew up with the Old Testament, and now... With Christ, we've arrived at the destination, and he wants them to take their attention off of the sign and look to Christ. Off of the sign and look to Christ. And that's what I want to do here this morning. If you're following along on your the bulletin notes, I want to do just a little bit of review to bring us to the, the main point of the book of Hebrews. So the book of Hebrews has this dual focus, and these aren't unrelated. They're intricately connected. First, the author wants to impress us impresses readers with the supremacy and the majesty and the glory of Christ. He begins by contrasting him to angels that in the old Testament, the people received the law through angels. So indirectly, but now we have the perfect image of God, the exact radiance imprint of his nature. We have God directly revealing himself to us through Christ angels and God in the flesh. Indirect and direct. He's greater than Moses. Nothing wrong with Moses. Moses was a faithful servant in God's house. 
But Christ is the son. Who, who, who knows the father better, the servant or the son? So he's greater than Moses. And the, the point of the text here this morning is he's greater than the Levitical priesthood. He offers a greater sacrifice, a better sacrifice than the Levitical priesthood. The Levitical priesthood wasn't bad. God gave it to them. He gave it to the people. He instituted it. But it was a signifier. It was a sign pointing to Christ. And to hang out there, it's like going to Yellowstone, taking a picture in front of the sign, welcome to Yellowstone, and turning around and not glorying in the park. Right? It's, it's like going to grandma's house, but never going inside and seeing grandma. It's, it's hanging out with the sign and not the thing or not the one being signified. Secondly, the author wants his readers to endure. Maybe you know this, but the Christian life can be hard. It can be difficult. We can get weary and tired and weak along the way. But having such a great salvation as we have in Christ, don't turn back. Persevere. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't turn to the side. But here, here's what I love about the book of Hebrews. It's, it's, I don't want to say circular, but it almost feels circular because he doesn't just tell you, okay, persevere, endure, grip on as hard as you can, the whites of your fingers, you know, the fingers turn white, work really hard. No, no, no. He points you back to Christ because the, the, the key isn't to work hard and to trust yourself. The, the key is look back to Christ. He's the author, the forerunner, the finisher of our faith. So the book of Hebrews glorifies Christ, tells us we need to endure. How do we endure? Look to Christ. That's, that's the point. It's really the, the book of Hebrews in a nutshell. That he is the anchor for our soul, sure and certain, who has gone in the very presence of God for us as a priest in the order of Melchizedek, which we'll talk a little bit more about that today. So in today's text, we are reminded that our need for perfection, perfection, do you feel perfect this morning? I certainly do not. Our need for perfection before God, here's the good part, has been accomplished. Our need for perfection has been accomplished for us by our great high priest, who is the guarantee of a better covenant. And this covenant is not subject to sin or to death or to corruption. If you haven't turned there yet, um, Hebrews chapter 7 I'm going to read the whole passage, verses 11 through 22. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from whom no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement considering concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, and here he's quoting from Psalm 110, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one, this Christ, was made a priest with an oath. And he quotes again from Psalm 110, by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantee of a better covenant. Please pray with me. Father, you are a holy and huge and magnificent and great God. And we come before you as as sinners. We've come before you as weak. And Father, if, if we are to stand before your holiness and greatness, this would be fearful, fear inducing exercise. And it is, Father, you are so great and so holy and so beyond us. It is a frightening thing to approach you on our own merits, on our own basis, on our own standing. But Father, I, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you that you are not only holy and great and powerful, that you are good and loving and merciful and faithful. Father, thank you that you sent us your son, that you made it possible for us to approach you. You are no less holy, but the one that you sent was perfect. So Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for our sins on our behalf. Father, thank you that you raised him from the dead, that you didn't leave him dead, that you raised him from the dead. You raised us with him and that Jesus is seated with you before the throne of God in heaven. Father, thank you that you have not left us alone even now that you've given us your spirit. Father, I pray that your spirit will work in our hearts. Remind us that the truths that are in your word, the truths that we know, I pray that your spirit will direct us to Christ. Help us to not be distracted by lesser things, though maybe good in their place, but things that that might distract us from, from Jesus, distract us from the author and finisher of our faith, turn our eyes away from him. Father, we don't want that. So we ask for your help. Father, I pray that as we think about, ponder, meditate on your word this morning, that you will be glorified and that our, the, our, the awe and wonder of our salvation will be renewed in us. Help us to praise you and worship you as we think about how, how our salvation has been won, not by our own merits, but by the, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect life of Jesus, our great high priest. Jesus, thank you that you sit before your Father and you intercede for us, you mediate on our behalf. Father, thank you that Jesus, you accept Jesus' mediation, his interceding. Father, I I thank you for your goodness and your holiness, your grace and your mercy and your faithfulness. Speak to us this morning through your word, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to begin this morning by looking back at the Levitical priesthood. And if you were in the the Leviticus class this morning, there's going to be some repetition here because I'm going to kind of walk through the Day of Atonement, um, which is what we were covering in Leviticus. Um, but maybe you were maybe you were a good kid in Old Testament class, and you paid attention. You remember all the details of the tabernacle and the priests and the Day of Atonement. But but maybe you were, you were the 
the kid in the back that's eyes are glazing over and there's how many different sacrifices are there? I don't know. So I want to do a little bit of review and I want to begin kind of walking you through the tabernacle. The temple is similar later, but we'll, we'll go with the tabernacle and then thinking about the day of atonement and how, how this points to Christ. So we're going to look at the, the sign and then we want to look at the thing being signified or the one being signified, it should say Christ. So as you, if you were to walk into the tabernacle, first there's the, the courtyard as you walk into the courtyard, there's, a, there's an altar, for a, a, the altar of burnt offering in front of you, in which animals were, were, were put and they were burned as sacrifices for sin. And if you were to keep going in front of you, um, in, in, before you enter into the, the actual tent, there's a bronze laver or a basin, which the priests would use to wash themselves and purify themselves. And then if you were to walk into the tent, which if you weren't a priest, you wouldn't, but if you were to walk into the tent, you would have on your left you have the, the golden lampstand, and on your right would be the table of showbread, and in front of you would be the altar of incense. And the altar of incense would be, have incense burning, and the kind of idea of that is that covering the stench of our sin, that our sin is a stench before God, but there's this pleasing aroma of the, the altar of incense. And then there's a curtain in front of you, and you wouldn't walk through that curtain unless you're the high priest, and you wouldn't walk through that curtain as the high priest just any day. You walk in on the Day of Atonement, and if you were to walk into the, through the curtain in front of you, you would see the Ark of the Covenant, which is not God or an image of God, but a signifier of God's presence. And there would be two angels, cherubim, carved, and their wings kind of meet here, and that's, that's the mercy seat. That's the idea. This is where God's presence is. So that's the, that's the tabernacle. And on the Day of Atonement... The high priest would, would have five animals, and all of these animals, we'll, we'll go through it a little bit later, but all of these animals are going to are signifiers, fires. they point us to Christ. But on the Day of Atonement, once a year, the priest, the first thing he would do is he would take the bull, and he would offer it as a sacrifice for his own sin. Because this priest, well, he, maybe he's a good priest, but this priest, like you and me, is a sinner, he doesn't keep all of the laws perfectly all of the time. He doesn't always love the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength perfectly all of the time. He doesn't always love his neighbor as himself, kind of like you and me. So before the priest can offer a sacrifice for, for your sin, for the people's sin, he has to offer a sacrifice for his own sin. So he, he offers the sacrifice of the bull. The blood is sprinkled, sprinkled on the altar. The, the, the tabernacle itself has to be purified. This is something instituted by God, but it has to be purified because it, it's among impure, sinful people. So it dwells among unsinful, pure, un, un, sinful, unpure people. It has to be signified. Uh, well, my words, it has to be purified. And then the, the priest would, would sacrifice a male goat. There are two goats. So one sacrifice, he, one goat he would sacrifice, and this was for the sins of the people, and its blood would also be sprinkled on the altar. And then they would take the second goat, and the, the priest, they would put their hands on it, and they would drive it out from their presence, drive it out of the midst of the people into the wilderness. And after offering the sacrifice for the sins of the priest, 
sacrifice for the sins of the people, driving out this goat that signifies the impurity and the sinfulness of the people. Then they would offer a burnt offering for the priest and for the people. Then worship with God is, is possible and their sins are covered. Their sins are atoned for. And the priest would have to wash himself and purify himself. And this would happen again the next year. And the next year. Because this, the priest is still a sinner. The priest is still not loving the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. So he still has to offer a bull for his sin. And the people, like us, they're still, sin, they're still, still sinners. They still don't love their neighbor as, 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 they, as they ought, as themselves. So this, this would have to be offered again and again and again. And what the author of Hebrews is saying, he's, he's not here to criticize the Old Testament system. It's instituted by God. It had its purpose. But it has its downfalls, its shortcomings. And if you look at the Old Testament sacrificial system, the Levitical system, and not the thing it's pointing to, again, it's like taking your picture at the sign for, for, the, for Yellowstone, but not going in. So the purpose of the, of the priesthood is to make fellowship and union with God possible. It was a gift. I, th- I think often we, we, we read about these things and we hear about these things and we think of it as a burden, but it was intended as a, as a gift because God's presence, God is holy and he doesn't tolerate sin. And if God is to be among his people, then the people need to be covered. People need to be covered. So God can't dwell among his people without sacrifices for sin, without this process. So for God to be among, among them, this is what had to happen year after year. So this is so that God can dwell among them and they not be consumed. So the purpose of this priesthood is to make fellowship and union with God possible. The Levitical priests were set aside. They were consecrated for this very purpose. They brought the worshiper into the presence of God. Pastor Jay has mentioned this a couple of times. But on their shoulders, they had stones with the names of the, the 12 tribes. And on their breastplate, they have 12 stones with the name of the 12 tribes. And the, the idea is they're carrying the people on their shoulders and on their heart into the very presence of God. They're carrying you into the the holy place. So they're making worship with God possible. They're bringing you into God's presence as best they can. But there are problems with this system. First, the author of Hebrews says it was weak. It's weak, not because God who instituted is weak. It's weak because it's carried out by human beings, human beings like you and me. So these priests They have to start by offering sacrifices for their own sin because they're sinful. They they can't go into God's presence on their own merits. They were subject to mistakes or even rebellion against God right at the beginning. Aaron is the first high priest and his, his two sons, right at the beginning of this system being instituted, his two sons rebel against God. They don't do things the way that God called them to do. And they're consumed by fire that comes out of the tabernacle and consumes them. So the, the priests themselves mess up royally. And then even these priests, even the good priests, eventually they die and they have to be replaced. And the ones who replace them die and have to be replaced. So these priests weren't necessarily bad. They weren't necessarily wasting their time. But the, the Levitical system is weak because it, it relies on frail and sinful human beings as is anything that relies on human beings. 
Secondly, it's useless, and it's not useless in that it had no purpose, but it's useless in making us perfect. It's useless in making us perfect. The author says that it made nothing perfect. And the word for perfection doesn't, necess- doesn't really necessarily mean, although I think it includes this idea, without moral flaw or failure, the idea of perfection, the, the Greek word has more to do with bringing to completion or fullness. So the Levitical system couldn't finish the job. It could bring you into God's presence, a mitigated presence with barriers and with separation, but it couldn't bring you all the way into God's presence. It couldn't perfect you. It couldn't make you righteous. So one way that it's not perfect, it's incomplete, is that scripture teaches us that sin separates us from our creator, and we need something to cross this chasm and, but reconciliation to God requires moral perfection. And that's, that's part of God's plan for you. God's plan is not to leave you a sinner. God's plan is to make you righteous like Christ is. But the Levitical priesthood and the Levitical system and the sacrifices couldn't make you morally perfect. Mere, mere human beings are unable to accomplish this. So priests could only cover the sins of the people. Another way that it was incomplete was that it didn't ultimately restore fellowship between God and his people. The, the Levitical priestly system kept you at a distance. There's barriers, there's curtains, there's days. So even if you have fellowship and union with, with God, it's, it's fellowship and union with God that's mitigated. It's, it's, it's from far away. It's with a priest carrying you, not you walking into God's presence yourself. If you think about the Garden of Eden before sin, Adam and Eve walked with God without barriers. But the, the, the tabernacle and the temple are reminders that there are barriers. And you can't walk into God's presence without separation, lest you die. So the, 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 the temple, the tabernacle, the day of atonement, all these things, they were good, but they couldn't complete the job. They couldn't bring you to walk with God without barrier. And the third way it was incomplete is that these priests themselves were subject to death. And even if you have fellowship and union with God in this life, you and I, like those priests, we're going to die someday. And the sacrifices of the priests could, could only cover your sin. They could only make you able to approach God in this life. But it didn't bring you into eternal fellowship and union with God. An essential reality of the human experience is that death separates us from each other. And eternal death threatens to eternally separate us from God. And only a priest who is not himself subject to death can unite us to God eternally. So what, what does the Levitical priesthood, what did this system, what did the Day of Atonement, what did these sacrifices accomplish? According to the author of Hebrews, it introduced us to a better hope. It's the sign. You need the signs. You need a map. You need to know where you're going. But it's pointing this way, pointing us to Christ. Gareth Cockrell, a, a commentator, writes, The law was not a means of approaching God, but a God-instituted type and foreshadowing, foreshadowing of the sufficient means of atonement. The sufficient means of atonement and approach that would be provided, by, of, provided for by Christ. So the author of Hebrews, he's not after a critique of the, the old system, but he's, he's after a Uh, drawing our eyes to the better system, the better um, way, the better approach, the true means of atonement. So let's go back and walk back through the day of atonement with our eyes to the true purpose where it's pointing us. 
So on the day of atonement, this one day of the year, there's these five animals. And in some sense, all of these animals either remind us of Christ or remind us of how Christ is better. So the first, the, the priest has to offer a sacrifice for his own sin. That reminds us that Christ is better. Christ is a priest without sin. He didn't have to offer a sacrifice for his own sin before he approached God. He knew no sin. He, he became sin who knew no sin. So Jesus is without sin, doesn't have to offer a sacrifice for his, for his own sin. The priest would have to purify the holy place. But the priest can only walk into the tabernacle or the temple. But he's not walking into the very throne room of God in heaven. He, he couldn't do that without being consumed. But Jesus didn't walk into the earthly tab- tabernacle, the earthly temple. This is the argument the author of Hebrews will, will make later. He, wa- he went to the very presence of God in heaven. Without separation, unmitigated presence of God. This priest could only walk through all these barriers to the earthly, through the earthly tabernacle, through the earthly holy of holies. But Jesus, as our great high priest, is in the direct presence, unmitigated presence of God, without barrier, without separation. Then the priest would offer a sacrifice for your sin, and it's a goat. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice. As the author of Hebrews will later say, the, the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. can only cover it. But Jesus, perfect lamb of God, perfect lamb of God, offered himself as a sacrifice, a much greater sacrifice than any in the Old Testament. They took that one goat and they drove it away from them, drove it out of their presence, and Jesus became forsaken for us. On the cross, my God... God, why have you forsaken me? That also points us to Christ. And this day of atonement that was offered year after year after year, Jesus did it once. Never to be offered again. Offered once for all. Never to be offered again. You don't have to repeat it. Because your sin has been paid for every one of our sins have been paid for by Christ. And his, his sacrifice was sufficient. So the author of Hebrews is after here is, don't, don't look at the signs. Don't go back to the old system. All of those things were pointing us to Christ. Don't look at the signs. Look at Christ. The former covenant was weak and useless because... It was unable to perfect our natures or to save us from death. And the priests of the old covenant, they sinned themselves and they died. Their sacrifices were never enough. They had to be continually reoffered. The former covenant's purpose was to introduce us to Christ. In the old covenant, we learned the consequences of sin, death. In the old covenant, we learned that we needed a substitute, that we can't stand before God on our own. Our sin has to be paid for, and animals were killed in our place. It reminds us of our need for a substitute. The Old Covenant reminded us that we are completely and utterly dependent upon God and God's faithfulness and God's righteousness. So the Old Covenant, though unable to bring us to perfection, pointed us to Christ who could. And so as he says, because there's been a change in the priesthood, there's also a change in the covenant. 
Now, to the author of Hebrews, it really matters that you understand some things about the Old Testament. And again, he's writing to a Jewish audience. So one of the things that a Jewish audience might, might object to here is, wait, Jesus can't be a priest. He's not a Levite. He doesn't come from the tribe of, of Levi. But the author here reverses that and it supports his point. So he goes back, and this is from the pre, a previous text, but he reminds us of, of Melchizedek in Genesis, whom Abraham met and who, who blessed Abraham. And Abraham is the great-great-great-grandfather of Levi, the father of the priests. And Melchizedek blessing Abraham, the, the author of Hebrew makes the point, it's the greater that blesses the lesser, not the lesser to the greater. So here you have somebody outside the, the, the priesthood of the Levites, outside of the Levitical system, blessing the ancestor of Levi and the Levitical system. It's greater than Levi. And he quotes from the Old Testament and this is, this is a quote, during the time of the Levitical priest, it's ongoing when, when um, this was revealed to David in the Old Testament, that you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, that this points to Christ. And if God is predicting a priesthood outside of the Levitical system, then the Levitical system is an ultimate, that there's something greater than it coming. And that's, that's Jesus. The other main point that he makes here is that Jesus' priesthood is sealed by an oath that God is, is swearing by himself, by his own name. And if you look back in Leviticus and you look back in the Old Testament, he doesn't swear an oath in the institution of the Levitical system. He ordains it. He gives the priesthood to Aaron. He gives the priesthood to the Levites. But he doesn't swear an oath. But he does with Jesus. He seals Jesus' priesthood forever with an oath by himself. And furthermore, Jesus can be a priest forever because of who he is. For one, he's God. He has life in himself. He's not subject to human frailties. And two, as a human being, he rose from the dead. He has victory over death. He looked death in the face and he came back to life. So he's a priest forever who does not die, does not corrupt, and is indestructible. So because Jesus is not a priest of the old covenant, because he's not a Levitical priest, he's not subject to its frailties. He's not subject to its weaknesses. But he's, his priesthood is based in the promise of a God who cannot lie. So as we respond to God's word, first, this is important. I hope this is something you've heard a million times before. And there's a little bit of you that says, why do I need to hear it again? You do. <laughs> But there is only one God and mediator between us and God, Jesus Christ. He is our only mediator. There's no one else that can bring us to God. So, so don't look anywhere else. Don't look elsewhere. And I don't want to spend too much time on this, but this is, this is part of the reason that we're not Catholic. This is part of the reason we're not Catholic. You don't need a priest. You don't need a priest to have access to God. You don't need someone to forgive your sins and to confess your sins to. You have direct access to God before the throne of God above, we were seeing. I have a strong and perfect plea. And that plea is, is Jesus. You don't need me or Pastor Jay or any pastor to bring you to God. You have direct access to God through Jesus Christ and through him alone. But there's other things, sometimes good things, other things that might be distractions, even though they may be good in themselves, they're the signposts, but they're not the thing itself. I love theology, 
I teach classes on theology. I, I have theological books. I spend a lot of time thinking about theology. But theology is a sign. Theology is a sign. It's not the end in itself. If you study theology so that you know a lot of things or can argue points really well, then you're taking a picture of the sign at Yellowstone and going home. Because the purpose of theology is to bring us to Christ, to, help, to bring us before God, to see how small we are, how great he is, and what a wonderful salvation we have through Jesus. So if theology isn't doing that, then you're looking at the sign, but you're not looking at where it's pointing. Even, even the Bible, the Bible, you should read the Bible. You should study the Bible. You should know the Bible. Why? Because it points you to Christ and it points you to your salvation. But just knowing facts about the Bible and studying the Bible can be point, looking at the sign. There's many people who know their Bibles really well and don't love Jesus. There are. So I'm not saying the Bible is bad. I'm saying the Bible, the purpose of the Bible is to point you to Christ. And that's why we read it. That's why we study it. Spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are wonderful. You should do them. You should read your Bible. You should pray. I think there are times that you should fast. There are, t- there are times for these things and places for these things. But the purpose of them is to draw us closer to Christ, that we would know Christ better. If you can pray for nine hours, that's pretty impressive. But if it's not drawing you closer to Christ, it's worthless. It's pointless. If you can fast for two weeks, cool. But if it's not drawing you closer to Christ, it's worthless. It's pointless. Church, what we're doing now, preaching God's word, coming together. If if we're not being pointed to Christ, if our eyes aren't being drawn to Christ, we're wasting our time. We did a series um, in the fall, and I'm glad we did it, not repenting from doing it. But we did a series in the fall on, on responding Christianly to culture. There's a time and place for that. But there's a reason we don't preach those sermons every single week. Because the church's mission is not just to, it's not just to think about how to respond to every single issue. It's to be drawn closer to Christ. It's to preach Christ, to preach the gospel. That's what we're about. There's lots of great social clubs out there <laughs> that have good purposes. But how we res- even politics can be something that we can look to as the end itself. It's not the end itself. The purpose, our purpose here is, is not to make political statements on every single issue. It's not how to respond to COVID. It's not any of those things. Our purpose is to draw, be drawn closer to Christ. That's what we need to do. That's our, our use. Pastors and church leaders, there are many wonderful pastors. There are many wonderful preachers of God's word, many wonderful teachers. Um, I, but I remember some, as a younger person, I, I, maybe maybe by God's grace I'm more mature now, but as a younger person being very disturbed when pastors who I thought were, were godly men failed and sinned and, and didn't live up to what they preached. Well, if you're looking to human beings, they're going to be weak. They're going to fall short. They're not perfect. They don't bring you to Christ. Pastor's only doing his job. A preacher's only doing his job as he's pointing you to your great high priest, not as he is your high priest, because he's not. He can't. So the purpose of, of Christian leaders, the purpose of spiritual disciplines, the purpose of the Bible and theology, all of it is are there signs, signposts 
pointing, pointing, pointing us to Christ. I don't think the proper response to this text is application. I, I think this is sometimes, not all the time, there are proper places for application, but I think this is sometimes where we go astray in reading the Bible and, and meditating on it, is we think of it as, as a self-help book, that these are the things that you need to do. So you go out and do these things, and you'll have a better life. But I think the purpose of this text is worship. It's to draw us to the majesty and the glory and the wonder of our great high priest. So I'm going to remind you of some things that I hope you already know. But the the purpose of being reminded of these things is to glory in Christ all the more. So first, you have a high priest before the throne of God who is God himself, the the radiance of God's glory, perfect image of God. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning uh, was the word, which is Christ, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus talks about the perfect fellowship he had with the Father before the earth began. Jesus never began to exist. The Son never began to exist. He's always existed. Don't try to understand that. It'll break your brain. But Jesus has always existed. He's eternal. He has all power. Everything it means to be God. He's very God of very God. Everything it means to be God, Jesus is. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's holy. He's good. He's faithful. He's righteous. You feel weak? Sometimes? I do. Jesus is all-powerful. Your high priest has all power. So you go before someone who's able. Do you lack wisdom and knowledge? I do all the time. Your high priest has all knowledge and all wisdom. You feel weak? Do you feel unknowledgeable? You feel unwise? You have a high priest who is those things. But you don't just have a high priest who is great and holy and powerful. Your high priest became one of us. He became like you and me. That, that Jesus became a man and dwelt among us. That he lived a human life. And he, he, was, he was betrayed. He was beaten. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was tempted. All of those things that we experience as a human being, Jesus experienced. So you have a high priest who knows your weaknesses. He lived them. Do you ever feel weak? Jesus did. Are you ever hungry and thirsty? Jesus was. You're in pain? Physical pain? Emotional pain? Been betrayed? Jesus was betrayed. Jesus experienced physical pain. So you have a high priest. You have a high priest who is God on high and all-powerful and all-knowing, all-wise, all-good. And you have a high priest who suffered with us on this earth. He knows human suffering. He knows human frailties, human weaknesses, because he had them. But you have a high priest who experienced those human frailties and sufferings and weaknesses without sin. You ever sin? Yeah, I do. And that sin will keep us from God. But we have a high priest without sin who experienced hunger but didn't turn those stones to bread, 
who experienced betrayal, but prayed, Father, forgive them. for They know not what they're doing. You, you have a high priest who experienced the weakness and suffering and difficulties and hardships of this life without sin, who can perfectly bring us to God. And your high priest, he didn't bring a bull or a goat to sacrifice for your sin. He offered himself. That Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, offered himself as a sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. So we have a high priest who offered a much greater sacrifice. He offered himself. And you have a high priest who, because he's God, has life in himself and does not die. But as a human being, he died and he was raised from the dead. He looked death in the eye and he he came back to life. You have a high priest who conquered death and you have a high priest who was taken to the very presence of God. Not, Not through walls and tabernacles and curtains. You have a high priest who sits for God's presence in heaven and intercedes and mediates for you. That when you sin, Jesus intercedes, and I paid for that sin. When you fall short, Jesus did not. You have a priest who is before God's presence, not just entering into this, into this room once a year, but eternally in God's presence, mediating and interceding on your behalf. And you have a high priest who is going to return. Do you ever look around at the world and see it kind of fall short of what it should be? Just a little bit? Has a little bit of few problems here and there? <laughs> it doesn't really live up to our expectations? We have a high priest who's going to come back because he's not just a priest. He's also a king. We have a high priest who's going to come back and he's going to rule and he's going to reign. And he's going to banish sin and death and pain and sorrow and sadness and all of those things. And he's going to put things to right. So we have a high priest who is able. We have a high priest who understands. We have a high priest who is sinless. We have a high priest who is with God in heaven interceding for you. We have a high priest who's, who's coming back to rule and to reign. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Please stand with me. I would love to pray for us. Father, you are great and powerful and awesome and holy. And God, we remember that in ourselves, we cannot approach you. It, it, is, it is too terrifying. That by ourselves, we, we need barriers. We need tabernacles and temples and priests and sacrifices. That in ourselves, we, we are not worthy. It's too, it's too fearful. It's terrifying. We're not able. But Father, again, thank you. Thank you that you are not only great, and awesome and holy, you are good and loving and merciful and faithful. And Father, thank you for sending Jesus for our sins. He died for our sins. Thank you for raising him from the dead and that you raise us up with him. Thank you for taking him before your throne where he can mediate for us. Jesus, thank you for, for offering yourself as a sacrifice for our sin. Jesus, thank you for interceding for us. Thank you that you 
You make us able. You make us perfect. You make us qualified to come before God's presence. Father, thank you. I can pray today as a sinner. And I can, I can, I can come before your throne because of Jesus. Father, thank you that you haven't left us alone, but you've sent us your spirit. And so we don't have to go through tabernacles and temples. That you, through your spirit, dwell in us. No, no mitigated presence. You dwell in us. Spirit, thank you that you work in our hearts and our lives to shape us and mold us into Christ-likeness. That you groan with us as we groan. That you draw us into the presence and throne room of God. Father, I, I pray that today, this week, this year, the rest of our lifetimes, as long as we draw breath, that you will be praised, glorified, and worshipped by our, our lives. I pray that the what we do in this church will draw attention to Christ, point us to Christ. Father, and I, I glory in, in his name, and I pray in Jesus' name, the name that saves us and makes us able to approach you. In the name of Jesus, amen.